Hello and welcome to the Flex. It's Matt St. Jean here with Joe Howie. We got a, a treat of basketball here, a quad one opportunity for the Friars. We're going to be previewing previewing for you here today on the Flex and talking about the basketball we saw over Thanksgiving. This podcast is presented by House Enterprise and in partnership with House of College Hoops. Head over to our site, house-enterprise.com, for more info. Joe, I don't know if you're going to have any written pieces coming up on this one. I feel like we're going to need one after because this is the single most important game in the non-conference schedule for Providence. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have my post-game thoughts uh, on you know Thursday or Friday following this game. And, and you said it best. This is the most important game on our non-conference slate as it stands. Um we had two great opportunities with Miami and St. Louis that we didn't necessarily take advantage of. So, you know, this is really it a road game against the 26th best team in the country, according to the AP poll and the coaches poll. So this is a TCU squad that's looked a little bit different throughout the course of the season, but it looks like we're getting them at what they, they were projected to be at the beginning of the season. So again, opportunities and knocking, we really, you got to pound the door down. Yeah. Yeah, this is a, a somewhat familiar TCU squad that Providence is going to be playing. Before we get into this one, the Friars are now at 5-2 and two on the season. Yep. They've picked up two wins, two 14-point victories since the last time we talked to you guys. Over Thanksgiving there, they pick up the win over Merrimack, the win over Columbia, two teams that are 330-plus in Ken Palm just in that Stonehill tier of teams. I don't know if either one of these victories was as decisive as I would have liked, Joe. But it is two wins, two wins by more than 10 points, and I'll take that. You know, Ed Cooley always says is that he'd much rather an ugly win than a pretty loss. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have to agree because, you know, you could be looking at a different record right now, but you're 5-2, and and some of the best names in college basketball are also 5-2. and Some of the best names in college basketball are also two and five. So I would much rather be on the winning side of things. With that said, um, Providence was favored by 20 plus points in both of those games and to only cover 14. Little concerning, especially given, you know, the quality of our opponents. And now this is a trend that we've seen throughout the first three and a half, four weeks of the season here that Providence is letting these um, lesser opponents score and score comfortably. Um so, you know, there, there's definitely some defensive improvements that need to happen. But, you know, a win is a win is a win is a win. So going into probably the toughest game of the non-conference slate at TCU with five wins under our belt makes me feel a little more comfortable. But I'm still, you know, definitely not optimistic, I'll say. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting spot for the team to be in. Uh, some good news. Ed Croswell was named to the Big East honor roll. For his performances last week, he had 17 points against Merrimack and then 13 there against Columbia. So good stuff from him. Yep. So Devin Carter had a double-double for himself against Merrimack, 12 points, 10 boards. And then Jaden Pierre kind of with a breakout performance there against Columbia, 13 points off the bench. Let's start there with the guard play. The last time we talked, we brought up guard play and talking about how our, is is there going to be a point where we need to have a conversation about starting point guard on this team and Jared Bynum versus Jaden Pierre based on the way they were playing. Ed Cooley had a comment after the Columbia game where he basically said, 
who starts doesn't matter. Just because you're in the starting lineup does not mean you're a good player. We're, we're going to play the guys who are playing well. And at the, who's playing at the end is what matters. When I heard that, I hear a direct shot at Jared Bynum. <laughs> I completely agree, Matt. And I thought the same exact thing. I feel like Cooley has been taking these subliminal shots at Bynum for a couple of post-game pressers in a row now. I think after St. Louis, he talked about you know, leadership being a lonely place. Um, that might not be the right game, but he's definitely taken shots at Bynum. And, you know, I think rightfully so. You know, Bynum played with his hair on fire for the latter part of last season. And so far, minus the that second game, I, I, who was that against Northeastern, where he logged 21 points, you know, he really hasn't done much. And understandably so, he's taken on a larger role this year. You know, he is the only person that's been handling the point guard responsibilities, asterisks, up until this week. Um, so, you know, really it was Bynum and Durham as a – backcourt duo and now it's really been for the most part Bynum owning that responsibility so his plate is a little fuller with respect to what he has to do uh he has to play make he has to run the offense he's got to get these newer guys in position to make plays um all the while you know he was one of our biggest scorers last year and you need him to continue to do that so he definitely is a full plate right now and I think we've seen so far that he's struggling with it a little bit and I think Cooley's been calling him out because he knows what Bynum is capable of. So I think long-winded tangent back to the original question, Matt. You're right. I think Cooley's taking a shot at Bynum here. And on the heels of Jaden Pierre's performance this week, you know, could Bynum's starting spot be in jeopardy? Who knows? I, I, I definitely think, you know, there's no certainties. Yeah, I, I agree there. I don't think it's in jeopardy yet. I think what is in jeopardy is overall share of playing time. I think Bynum yeah. is going to get that nod until he really proves he shouldn't be the guy because to to take away that starting job and to pass it to a freshman here is a huge statement. Yeah. One you only make if Pierre is forcing your hand by how well he's playing or if you need to humble somebody. And if we're <laughs> at that point, that's we're having a whole different conversation. I will say the good thing about Jared Bynum right now is he's passing the ball as well as I think he ever had. He had more assists than points in each of the last two games, only one turnover in each of them. His average, so the last week he was averaging seven assists to one turnover. That's, that's really, that's, cool. yeah, that's really good right there. He only scored 12 points last week to the 14 total assists. You don't need him. You don't need him to be the guy scoring the ball. If, other players step up. He just needs to be willing to be willing to buy into that role as kind of a facilitator first, scorer second. I don't know if that's the best spot for him too. I think he has the scoring juice, but if that's not there, I mean, he's shooting eighteen percent from deep right now. Wolf. That's, that that's, is, as we say in the industry, Matt, not, not good. good. Yeah, and industry term right there, not <laughs> good shooting. I mean, that's the thing is that and that's kind of the big thing with this team is just who is going to score the basketball. Hopkins can, Hopkins can score, but he, he does not have a three point ball right now. Devin Carter can score. He doesn't have a deep shot. Locke has been inconsistent from deep. Bynum has not had his shot. And you heard it in the last game. Teams are going to zone you to death until you prove that you can shoot the ball at all. So it's good yeah. that Bynum can pass through it because Pierre, that's the one area where Pierre's had issues. He's had some issues passing in the zone. Bynum can do that. But you need the guys around him to step up there a little bit, too. 
No, I agree completely, Matt. And I think three-point shooting has definitely been a sore spot for us this season. You and I talked offline about, you know, the different options that we had, you know, especially Noah Horkler, you know, having a power forward that can step out beyond the arc and stroke it makes you so versatile as a team offense. And Hopkins has been, you know, inconsistent. He hasn't taken a ton of threes, but he hasn't been very consistent with the three ball. Like we said, Noah Locke has been hit or miss, and Jared Bynum has been, as we say in the industry, not good. Um, so, you know, Jared Bynum was kind of that safety net last season where he could shoot the three when we needed extra assistance. And he has not been that safety net for us this season, which has been the difference. Um, I think Jaden Pierre shows uh, a ton of promise in that category. Again, sample size is small because up until this most recent game against Columbia, we haven't seen too much run from him. Um, so back to this conversation about starting spots in jeopardy and the allocation of minutes. The only thing that worries me is that Jaden Pierre has only been good in small doses. I guess that's safe to say small doses. What happens when he's given the starting reins and, you know, that 22 minute one time performance becomes game in and game out. You need 25 minutes out of him. What happens then? Um, So that's a dynamic that's definitely intriguing to me and one to follow for sure. And I think that same question applies right now to Bynum and Croswell relative to what they did last year. Yeah, Being able to do something off the bench as a change of pace option and doing it for 25, 30, 35 minutes a game full time are two different roles. Yeah, exactly. Guys are adjusting. Here's a stat for you. Bryce Hopkins, Jared Bynum, and Jaden Pierre have all hit the same number of threes this season. Bynum, is, he has five makes on 28 attempts. Hopkins has five makes on 13 attempts. And Jaden Pierre has five makes on five attempts. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's uh, something right there. What do you call him, Matt? Jaden 3-air? Is that what you yeah. were writing on Twitter? Yeah, Jaden 3-air. I, <laughs> oh I was trying to tweet that on Saturday. I was... Uh, doing multiple things at once and I could not figure out how to spell that and make that work in a coherent <laughs> way. And I just, yeah. But yeah, Jaden three air. Maybe we need some t-shirts on that one. Hey, you know what? We have a store open and yeah. I'll take this time to plug the store. It's the holiday season. If you want to get you or your loved ones, some flex branded gear, you're an avid listener. You've been an avid listener for the past couple of seasons. Head over to house enterprise.com hit on the merch tab, find the flex link. And you know, Buy some gear. It helps us out. And, you know, we love you guys. Hopefully you love us back. Rep our, rep our merch. Wear it to the dunk or the amp, whatever it's called. Wear it <laughs> to Madison Square Garden in, in March. You know, just rep the name. Get get some repetition out there. Yeah, we'd love to see it. And also a reminder that we've teamed up with SeatGeek this season to get you the best deals for tickets to your favorite teams. SeatGeek takes the confusion out of buying tickets. They're here to give you some great deals. Get in on the fun and head over to SeatGeek. Download the wrap and use code NCAA Hoops Digest for twenty dollars off your first purchase. We uh, we really got into that that ad read there, and Joe is uh, gone. I oh, and he's back. I was choking on my water. <laughs> I didn't want to cough into the microphone. Come back from reading the ad, and Joe is just not there. <laughs> no, I'm back now. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so let's let's take this opportunity now and look ahead to this TCU game. I said that there were some familiar faces here. That's in part because TCU and Providence faced off in Fort Worth two years ago in the COVID season in a game. Friars ended up taking 
Uh, a name you may remember is Mike Miles. He was uh, one of the starters for TCU in that one, a guard. He had 20 points for them. He is still on the team. Charles O'Bannon came off the bench for them, scored three points. He is still around. And then one other name that may be familiar to you Providence fans is that of Jacoby Cole, a forward. He was not a player for TCU the last time they played. He played for Butler at the time. He put up 14 points against the Friars in a game that season, and a Butler win out at Hinkle. A couple familiar faces there. Also, the, the head coach, Jamie Dixon, is somebody who used to coach at Pitt in the Big East there, and he's been around for a while. So some established names there, established faces. And this is a TCU team, like we said, that is, is well-regarded at just outside the top 25 right now. Yeah, I, what is interesting interestingly frightening to me about this is you talk about Mike Miles. He was a starter for them, put up 20 points. We don't return anybody that started for us or put up 20 points in the last matchup. You return Croswell, who gave you minutes off the bench and went scoreless. He had eight points. And Alan Breed, who gave you minutes off the bench and went scoreless. Otherwise, blank slate, you know, clean roster. And I think that works as an advantage towards us, but also as a disadvantage because typically when you play guys and, you know, you can remember their playing styles, it gives you the defensive advantage because you've seen them before. We don't really have that. So unless Alan Breed is logging 30 minutes on Mike Miles, which I doubt that he will, um, you're going from scratch here. Jared Bynum mm-hmm. was also on the roster back then, but I believe he was injured at that point in the season. Yeah, I think he Yeah, he was out then, yeah. so he didn't play in that one. So he's another new face. Um, but for me, you know, what stands out about this TCU roster is Mike Miles and Emmanuel Miller are all averaging double figures. Um, I'm going to butcher this name, Micah Peavy and Chuck O'Bannon, not not that name, but Micah Peavy and Chuck O'Bannon are each averaging just under 10 a game. Providence, all five starters are averaging 10 a game, but again, the sample size and the level of competition is a little bit different. So I'm I'm worried. I'm nervous about this, this, this matchup. Yeah, and a little a little background on this TCU team. They came into the season at 16 on Ken Palm, nearly lost at home to Arkansas Pine Bluff in the opener, only beat Lamar by 11 points in the next game, and then lost at home to Northwestern State, ended up dropping from 16 all the way down to the 50s in Ken Palm in less than two weeks there. Ever since then... They, they had a huge win over Louisiana Monroe, and then they just won the Emerald Coast Classic. They beat California, and then most notably, they just beat a very good Iowa team by 13 points, really controlled that game. And I think one of the big factors here is they have been missing guys. That Northwestern State game, they were without Mike Miles for it. And for all six of their opening games here, they're 5-1 and one right now, all six of them, they've been without Damian Baugh who is one of their returning starters at point guard. He signed with an agent when he wasn't supposed to. And this is his, or maybe it was a guy who wasn't registered. I don't know the details, but he's the guy that averaged double figures for them last year. This is going to be his first game back. He's a starter. I would expect expect to see him in the starting lineup there. Maybe he comes off the bench if they ease him in, but this is very much not the same TCU team that lost to Northwestern State. Yeah, it's a team that is on the upswing now in the top 40 at Ken Palm. And take into account that this is also on the road, hostile environment there. This is potentially the third toughest game 
Providence may play this year outside of road games against UConn and Creighton? I would have to agree with you there. I, I mean, it, this is all signs point to TCU as being the favorite here. And I wouldn't be surprised if Vegas favors them heavily. Um, with that said, on the other side of that same coin, this presents a boatload of opportunity for us, a, a hell of a lot of opportunity. This is a TCU team that's riding a high right now. They just knocked off a top 25 opponent. They're receiving votes to be in the top 25. And like you said, Matt, they've essentially had a turnaround of what was, you know, a rocky start to the season. They seem to be striding right now. So I think that works seriously against us. But I also think you can flip that narrative and say, all right, you know, they're riding, they're cruising. They think they're figuring it out all out. Let's go in and play upset because the last thing they expect right now is for the five and two Friars who, you know, are having some defensive problems to come in and, and knock them off at home. So, and, and yeah, and make no mistake about it. This is a Providence team that it's, we talked about the struggles at Mohegan Sun. They played both of those teams close. Both yeah. of those games were competitive. It doesn't take a massive increase in the way that they played to, to be better against a team like TCU. They, right. they only need to be incrementally better than when they were at Mohegan Sun to probably beat TCU, especially Damian Ball's coming back, and that's good and all. They're also going to have to adjust and figure out how this all works together. Yeah. Even if that leads to five or ten rockier minutes than TCU is usually going to see, maybe there's an opportunity there. Uh, if you can force an off night, uh, I think one thing that's important here, this is a TCU team that does not shoot the three ball well at all on offense. That's where the Friars have kind of gotten snake bitten at certain points yep. early in the season. So it, there's a favorable matchup right there. Yeah, not to mention, Matt, I, I think the three-point thing is absolutely important to look at here because when you look at Miami and St. Louis, they didn't necessarily take a lot of threes. I think that's difference in playing style, absolutely. But if you look at those games, we were competitive with them, like you said. When you look at the rest of the mid-majors that we've played, they're taking a lot of threes and they're hitting them. So I think looking at TCU here, if they're a team that's not going to take a ton of threes, that's an alleviation for us on defense because then you can focus on a little bit more man-to-man um, you don't have to worry about three-point opportunities as much in closing out. You can focus more on defensive rebounding. Um, I think that's a huge advantage for us, especially because we've been struggling with guarding the three. Um, I think you look at this Providence team too, and you think <laughs> without Ryder in there, that's the outlier. We've beaten our opponents comfortably, and yeah. we've played poor defense in the process. I think if you can scrape together a defensive performance like you had for the first part of the second half against St. Louis and tie it together with the offense that you've been producing consistently throughout the season, you can be competitive in this game. You might not win, but it can be competitive. The last thing you want is to go in there and get the doors blown off of you because then, you know, it just, it just, it looks bad. Exactly. And this is, I mean, this game might be played almost entirely inside the arc with the way these two teams like to play. It's going to be some old school basketball there. This is a, it's a TCU team that does not go to the line as often as you would expect for a team that likes to play down low. They do crash the glass well, and kind of stopping offensive rebounds has been an issue for Providence. TCU doesn't shoot it well. This is, I think you could almost make a comparison to UConn of the past couple years, where they're not going to shoot it that well, and they're not going to give you a whole lot from deep. They're going to crash the glass, get some opportunities, and they're going to pass well to get themselves high quality looks they got guards that can take it to the basket there so you put it all together and 
you need to have a very disciplined interior defense. And that, that comes from all five players. You need to box out well. You need to maintain assignments. You need to switch properly when you're doing it and stay in front of guys. And all of that has been an issue for Providence at different points of the season. But they have the personnel to do it. If they can get it all together and communicate well, they're capable of doing all of that. And if you play that good defense, you can really muck this up and make it a tough game, a kind of worst-case scenario. Yeah, I, th- I think the three guys that are most important to the interior defense that we need to win this game are in order of importance, Clifton Moore, Bryce Hopkins, Ed Croswell, uh, especially if, you know, TCU is not a great shooting team. Those three guys need to be on the court at the same time because Clifton Moore is going to be that elite rim defender that you need. And Croswell and Hopkins are, are going to be those essentially those wing, but those wing forward positions where they're default, they're <laughs> defending uh, the dribble drive and, um, they just you need bodies down there. It's it's going to be physical. Um, mm-hmm. Looking at the guard play, I think Devin Carter is someone that that screams out to me because as we talked about in you know, before we started recording, he's a little dinged up right now. And what we saw against Miami and St. Louis is that when he was beat by his guys, he was forced to foul because he was just beat athletically mm-hmm. speaking. Um, if TCU is going to attack the rim. That means a lot of dribble drive penetration. That means Devin Carter needs to be able to stay in front of his man without fouling. Exactly. And this is a decently big TCU team. It's a bigger team than Providence, um, kind of by an inch across the board. So you need your guys to play up to that. Obviously, Devin Carter is a guy who can play much bigger than Mm -hmm. his size. Uh, It's a TCU team that also will go deep and will play a lot of its bench and it's going to use the whole lineup to stay fresh and attack the room and do all do all of that. You're going to see a lot of different guys out there. And that means Providence's bench is going to be important. I'll throw another name out there in Alan Breed, a guy yeah. who had his best game of the season. And might I add, I, I was saying I want to see him pick his shots more. I want to see him be more aggressive on the offensive end. He did it, and it worked. It was huge against Columbia. And he can bring that out again. Like, that's... You, you need all five guards at the top of this rotation to play well to win this game. Yeah, that's a great point on Allen Breed, too. And he totally, totally changed that second half. He mm-hmm. won, he scored, what, back-to-back-to-back buckets? And then Cooley said, that's game, set, match. Mm-hmm. Breed comes in, he wins the, the Providence team belt of that dude. Like, rightfully so. Like, someone – talk about someone who doesn't give you a ton of minutes and is completely overshadowed by the transfer portal. Like – he comes in in big moments, you know, not only this game, but you look at that Xavier game, sinking the free throws. You look at the Villanova game, his freshman year, he had a double-double. Alan Breed is the type of player where he's going to get overshadowed on the scouting report, but he can have a, a massive impact on the floor. Absolutely, and that and that depth matters. Uh, yeah. I like what you said before about Clifton Moore, too, just his ability to affect shots and ability to put his size out there. Potentially... I think we're going to see some Rafael Castro because it looks like yeah. they're trying to play him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a guy, if he can give you a little bit and maybe have one of those good games we've been looking for where he puts things together, then he could be an impact player here. I think size matters in this game. I agree. Um, and that's, that's size as an attitude and a mentality and not physical <laughs> size. It's how you use it. <laughs> I'll just let it's, that I'll let that one hang out there. It's the bark and the dog, not the yeah. dog that barks. What's that saying? I don't know. Something like that. Yeah, both of these teams are in the top 25 in offensive rebounding percentage, too. 
So that's that, that's the story right there. Both these teams crashed the glass. Neither is particularly efficient otherwise. TCU has played better defense this year than Providence. TCU has been better at defensive rebounding than Providence. TCU also has not played as tough of a schedule. I mean, maybe they have, but mm. uh, they've played one good team. Friars have played two. So, yeah. So, the balance is out. Yeah. Oh boy, this is going to be something. This, this is buckle up. Um, yeah. Yeah, the TCU's last strength of the schedule this year so far is 362nd, and Providence's right now is 346th. This is out of 363. <laughs> the TCU is the second easiest schedule right now. So I don't need... buckle up. I, I can't even gather my thoughts on this game. I'm going to be honest with you. I just. I think um, this season so far has kind of thrown everyone for a loop. Um, starting with opening night, you know, you come out, you almost lay an egg to Ryder. Um, then you blow out your next two opponents, lose at Mohegan Sun on back-to-back days, and then you unconvincingly blow out your next two opponents. I, th- this is, you know, a serious litmus test for the team. And I said that about Miami, and I said that about St. Louis, and I'm saying it again because – how you perform against potential NCAA tournament talent is what gets you into the NCAA tournament. You know, beating yeah, Stonehill, putting up 100 points is, is all good and fun, but that doesn't really do anything at the end of the day. The selection committee doesn't care about that win. These are the games that they care about. And, and the Friars have limited opportunities here outside of conference play to get big wins where the Big East looks at the moment. It's kind of uncertain exactly how much a lot right. of those wins are going to matter, too. Uh, wins wins over teams like Seton Hall and Marquette might Villanova are not going to mean what they meant when they happened last year. No, and that means that means you got to get the wins now while you can. This is not a must win for Providence, no. but it is a, a must good, a must close. Like you need to show up in this one. You, you can't blow a lead. You need to be competitive. I think this needs to be within five points. It, you're right. It's not a must win. Um, the point about not blowing a lead is so huge. You can't do what you did to St. Louis. You can't go up 13 in the second half and then not score in the final 26 seconds and let them outscore you seven to nothing. You cannot do that because if you do that again, that looks terrible. If yeah. You know, you're chipping away the same way you did to Miami and you lose that way. Okay, that's fine. At least you competed. At least you looked like you were trying to get back into the game. But what happened against St. Louis can't be replicated. Um, And your point about conference play, Matt, it's so well taken, especially because, you know, a home win over Villanova or a road win over Villanova is essentially going to mean nothing unless they have a complete 180 and reverse their the entirety of their season, which is going to be tough because now they've they've dug themselves a hole. And the same thing. Yeah. And well, Villanova is going to get players too. So that's going to be a tough game. And that's one of those where if you split with Villanova this year to the committee that may look at, oh, these are two mediocre teams. Right. And, and that's it. They don't think more about it. Yeah. Uh, the opportunity is slim. You have mm-hmm. a good Creighton team, a good Connecticut team. I'll throw St. John's and Xavier in there just because on the road to the garden pod, I said they should be ranked and I still stand by that statement. But other than the top four, you you need other quality wins outside of the conference. Yeah. Uh, We're recording this on Monday. So the AP poll came out today. Uh, Xavier did not get a single top 25 vote, which is 
astonishing to me. I, I can get them not being ranked right now with the losses, but those are as good like those are as good quality losses as you're gonna get. I don't know how you can watch the way Xavier played against Gonzaga and not think that's one of the top twenty five teams in college basketball. Uh, look at the way they played against Gonzaga, Duke, and and Indiana. I mean, Xavier's holding their own against ranked opponents, and maybe we just have a different point of view on it than the rest of the country. But to me, like those losses say more about Xavier than their wins do at this point in time. Yeah, I agree. They're competitive with those teams. So I don't know. Maybe they're saying they got to actually beat one of them to be in the top 25. I can't complain too much about that point of view, but I would agree with that. At the very watch, least. You watch the team play and it's like, okay, this is clearly, clearly a top 30 team in college basketball. I'll say I'll expand it out that far. That's where Xavier is. And St. John's with that, with no big test so far has passed everything. So, yeah. Yeah, those are going to be the big ones. This game uh, will be Wednesday night at 8 o'clock Eastern on ESPN+. Plus. So make sure you figure out how you're going to be watching this one. It's a paid subscription. Uh, I'm sure there are, there's plenty of ways you can watch it. There's websites you can find it on if you need to. So just a heads up, you're going to need to, you're going to, need to go to an alternative method to watch this game. It will not be on your traditional cable set. ESPN and the streaming industry is ruining sports. I will just say that. <laughs> Uh, yeah it's uh it's something i mean yeah there's i well i guarantee you more people are buying espn plus to watch this game than the georgetown texas tech game that is happening at the same time <laughs> like i said like i said it, it, if that game if georgetown somehow scrapes together some semblance of a lead yeah. i'll watch but otherwise i don't need i don't need to turn that on yeah so that'll be that'll be that one um and then the Friars will, Friars will be in action against URI on Saturday. We're already at that time of year. The two big games this week. It's rivalry week here. Friars going back to Texas. Again, they took the last meeting between these two teams in the Big East, the Big 12 battle. Uh, I don't know when we're going to have post-game coverage for you. I know I'm going to be doing the Road to the Garden podcast immediately after this Wednesday night because we're going to be previewing Creighton, Texas, which is the night after. I'm sure we'll have some kind of content for you at some point, either – after that, we do a late night show Wednesday, or maybe we do something Thursday during the day at some point. We'll find something. So we'll get you get you some content after this and before the URI game. Be on the lookout for that one. As always, your usual set of reminders. Follow Joe. Follow me on Twitter. Follow our account on Twitter. Um, subscribe wherever you're listening to this. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you like the video podcast and you want to keep getting them. So if you want to see our pretty faces over here, um, I promise you, if you subscribe, the next time that Joe starts choking on his water, he'll leave he'll leave the video on. So you can, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> that may de-incentivize people to subscribe, Matt. You know, I'm I'm doing my best over here, Joe. We'll be back with you later this week. That's Joe Howie. I am uh, I'm Matt St. Jean, and we'll see you next time. Go Friars.